This is Blue Wire. Okay, welcome back. You're listening to The Lottery on Blue Wire Podcast. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. Roughly one week until draft night. You know, I've been trying to sort through all this information I've been gathering uh, from workouts, reports, intel. And I thought the perfect person to help clear up some misperceptions, tell us what really goes on during the pre-draft process based on his many years of firsthand experience working with front offices, someone who can tell us what's important versus what's overblown, what teams look for in workouts, medical reports, what's happening in the war rooms during the draft. And thankfully, he's no longer in the NBA, so maybe he can reveal some secrets, dispel some myths, tell us some stories. 14-year NBA director of scouting for the Dallas Mavericks, Minnesota Timberwolves, Indiana Pacers, founder of the famous Reebok EuroCamp, and current president of TPG Sports Group, Pete Philo, how's it going, Pete? Jonathan, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. It sounds to me with that intro that you pretty much know what's going on. You may not need me, but I'll I'll be glad to share some secrets. (laughs) Well, at least I think I know what's gone. Something going on. Something tells me that uh, there's a little more to it. Um, Before we get started, I know you guys are doing some great work providing insight to the NBA front office at TPG Sports Group with Pro Scout School. What can you tell us about what you guys are doing? Oh, yeah, appreciate it. We, we're really happy and uh, all the success we've had at Pro Scout School. Going on year six, we sell out the event every year. It's it's really a way for us to give back uh, the game. The game's been really good to myself, and uh, I've had a really good career in the NBA and uh, a lot of friends in the NBA. And so we, we bring a bunch of uh, scouts and GMs and assistant GMs and personnel guys and psychologists, you name it, uh, every, every part of the NBA that we can, uh, and we give back information, you know, it's a great place to learn and it's a great place to connect. I mean, those are the two foundational principles that we, we live by for, for this event in particular. And, um, you know, without either one, you can't get in or you, you can't really advance in this, in this crazy world of basketball. So we, we focus on that. We focus on teaching as much as we can, uh, giving as much MBA insight as we can, uh, and then connecting with people. Uh, so, you know, we have a, a, a format of panels and we also have segued more into breakout rooms, which are more intimate sessions. That's what the people have asked for each year. And we, we continue to grow in that direction. It's been Fantastic. And now we do some uh, exclusive experiences. One is the G- GM experience where we'll have Dennis Lindsay from the Utah Jazz and uh, Kevin Pritchard from the Indiana Pacers. Uh, that's currently sold out. That sells out really quick because it's, there's only 25 seats in there. And, and where else can you sit with two general managers for two days in a row and get that type of, ex- uh, you know, access. And then we have the salary cap experience with uh, Rich Cho, who's the new VP of strategy with Memphis and Keith Smith. Uh, from Yahoo Sports, who's another uh, cap guru. There's a couple spots left in that. And then we have the draft room experience with Tony Ronzoni and Donnie Nelson from the Dallas Mavericks, as well as myself. And that's a lot of fun. We re- recreate the uh, draft room and what, it, what it's like and how it goes down. And we give people an opportunity to uh, put some examples on the board and, and walk through it with us. So it's a lot of fun, Jonathan. It's right in, obviously right in the middle of Vegas during the summer league and the world of basketball is there. And I uh, hope, hope you stop by and, and check us out uh, as my guest. But nonetheless, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, if you're looking to break into basketball operations or just the basketball industry in general, this is really uh, the only way to do it. Um, and not only do they, does Pete and his group give you all the information about what really goes down, but also about just in terms of careers, building relationships uh, and networking, and they teach you a whole lot. So really good opportunity for anyone, but specifically guys looking to get into basketball operations. Okay, first order of business for me. I want to talk about team draft boards. Throughout the season, when a a prospect is playing well and making a name for himself, or, or when he's struggling and losing some support, among scouts I talk to, I usually say a prospect is rising up a draft board or falling down the draft board, really just as a frame of reference. At what point do teams typically actually start putting together a structured or tiered draft board? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm not a big fan of the stock up, stock down. Uh, I'm just not because it really doesn't happen uh, inside an NBA organization. Um, what, what happens is we're information collectors at the end of the day. And, and we're constantly doing that on the road and then sharing amongst, amongst each other. And then you, you have your director or assistant GM that has to, to gather all that information into one place and make sense of it. 
uh, and then rank it accordingly for his general manager, his or her general manager, and then from there uh, act appropriately. So to answer your question directly, um, typically, now every team's a little bit different, but I've worked for three different teams, so it's safe to say that this is uh, uh, pretty general. Um, training camp starts, and we have five, 600 names, okay? And then it, the, it's the elimination game from from – you know, late September, early October until January, early January is the elimination game and collecting as much as possible. And then in January, you've condensed that list to probably about 150, maybe 200, maybe a little bit less, maybe maybe 100, depending on the year. Uh, and then you start to rank. Uh, the January meeting consists usually about 80 percent we've seen live at that point from practices, November tournaments, December games, some cross checking here and there. Um and we have a good idea at that point to start a healthy ranking system. Um, and, and in that ranking system, you know, you, you start to put things, a list together, one by talent and two by position, and then three by the, the buckets are of all-star starter rotation and fringe. And then, you know, that particular bucket has to match up with where you have them by talent. If you have a guy, you know, 20th on your board, but, you know, three of your guys think he's a, a starter. Well, chances are, he, you know, you need to do a little bit more work on him and move him up to get him in the correct bucket at some point. And so that's the fun part towards the end of the year. There's a lot of debates and, and uh, you know, it usually comes out in the wash, but uh, that's usually how it works. Yeah, the whole stock up, stock down thing, I totally get it. It's kind of fake. <laughs> uh, it, it's something to talk about. It's really just a way for – basically media to sure. say who's playing well and who's not playing well. Um, so yeah, the, the, the draft boards really are kind of a, a fake thing, but it just makes it easier um, to talk about. I'm curious, you know, so a lot of times I talk to a scout and he says, I haven't really seen player X yet. Um, can you just quickly explain how front offices assign scouts to cover different regions? Sure. Yeah. And, and that's a, it's another great question, Jonathan, like for, for NBA teams, it's, Coverage, maximizing coverage and, and, and travel is, is paramount. It, it's very, very challenging. If you really did the math on, on geography, number of prospects, and how someone can see every player in the draft, not just once, but multiple times. You can't see a guy once live and make a decision on him. You're going to make a mistake. And so think about that for a minute. And you only have the months of – essentially October until June. Well, you could say you could say March because of the five on five. Of course, international games go a little bit longer. And, you know, that's another reason why teams, some teams will, uh, their, their brass, their, their management will go over a little bit later, maybe in April when the season ends here and you can see guys live over there. But nonetheless, um, uh, you have a lot of regional guys, for example, uh, the last couple of teams I worked for, I was, I was one of the directors and we would have, uh, our college regional guys, say a guy in Northeast, Southeast, uh, Midwest, Northwest, Southwest. So that's six guys, I believe, or five that have a region to cover. Now it's important to get them out of their region periodically. So they see some other players and they can speak, you know, and, and know how to compare or contrast. But then you have then you have your international scouts, uh, which I also believe getting them over here at least for a couple of weeks to see some college basketball, so they can have a feel of what's going on over here while they're looking at players over there. And then you have a couple of directors uh, that usually go everywhere, uh, and then you have your assistant GM and GM. And there's usually a couple other guys. Um, we can talk about the pro stuff too, but it sounds like we're just talking about the draft for now. So th those are the, basically the responsibilities and how it's broken down. Uh, and then you have a, a, a constant flow of communication, whether it's a group text, uh, just your scouts, or it's a group email, or it's a chat room of, of some sort. And, and uh, some teams like to have stuff put in after five minutes after every game, just so people can kind of have a, an idea of what what's going on information wise. And some people just have a database where they input stuff and people can go read it uh, at their leisure. Uh, but things have to get in immediately. And uh, it's a good place for the, the GM to, 
to get an idea of what's going on because he there's no way a general manager can see every single player live. He has to trust his scouts and his personnel guys to really funnel that list appropriately so that the general manager can maximize his time and his responsibilities because he's got a lot of stuff going on, whether it's managing you know, agents or media or um, players on his team or, you know, communication with other teams, general managers. So there's a lot to it, uh, but that's that's kind of how it's assigned. Yeah, no, some people just uh, kind of forget that the GM sometimes probably doesn't see some of these guys live until, until workouts or until, uh, you know, after the college season is over because he's got so many other responsibilities going on during the actual regular season. Now, the college basketball season ends. Final four is over. Uh, you have about a month till you can really start working out prospects uh, around five weeks until the NBA combine. What does the scouting department do from, from early, <laughs> from, from, from April to, to May? We talked about how the scouts are on the road, you know, 300 days of the year, but what happens during that time period? Sure. No, it's, it's funny you ask that because uh, someone asked me that a, a few days ago and, and it's really one of the most common misconceptions. This is actually, you could say the busiest time of the year. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm just going to throw a bunch of things out there. I don't know if I'll, I'll miss one or two or, uh, but for example, just where my mind is taking me right now. Um, first of all, you're continuing to collect background inf info, right? Cross-checking that information, what we currently have in the database and make sure we have great Intel, enough Intel. Um, it's a great time for an international trip. Okay. Seven to 10 days. Typically, um, the, the most important guys are usually funneled down by that point. So GM can get a, a real good a trip and be really efficient on that trip. Uh, you know, teams and prospects are in a critical part of the season at that time when games mean more, uh, you're, you're calling agents to set up individual workouts. This is a puzzle. Trust me. This is not easy. I was one of the guys that had to do that. And even though I was, I was, I would say uh, I felt comfortable with it uh, because I knew so many agents and I was friend friendly with so many agents, partly because of my days at the Euro camp, all the agents had to go, go through me or my staff in order to get players into the event or ask. And so I have a relationship with a lot of them, but, but still it's a lot of work um, setting up those individual workouts. This is challenging, many moving parts to it, timing, where you're drafting, where the player has already committed to or where the agent thinks it might be better for his player, et cetera. Uh, you're evaluating all the medical info at this point of the of the year, Jonathan. The medical stuff is starting to come in. So we've just finished the Chicago pre-draft. Um, you know, some of the medical stuff is starting to come around, and you you need to evaluate that. Now, I'm not an expert at medicals, and and usually most of the basketball operations staff are not, and that's where our doctors, our team doctors, are coming in and and reading these reports and giving us their experience and their information. Um, free agent prep. I mean, think about this, you know, if, 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 you know, you're in the market for a free agent or you're, you know, thinking about your roster that starts July one. Now this year, the draft, I believe is on the 20th. So you have a little bit more time, but in, in seasons past, I mean, there, there's been a night where the draft was on like the 26th or the 28th and, and, and July one is free agency. You can't turn around in two days and prepare a presentation or prepare your team for a really good free agency, uh, you know, off season. So you, you have to start thinking about that and preparing and what you're going to do, how you're going to do it. Um, putting together a summer league team. This takes a lot of time. I, I was also one of the guys that did that. And uh, now this should be around 80, 90% done at this point, but you'd be surprised the, the lingering decisions and, you know, agents are starting to trying to evaluate your team. What, who's going to be on your team? Is, is my player going to get minutes? Uh, I don't I can't have him at the end of your bench. And so there's a usually a back and forth there. Um, of course, at that point, you're going to add uh, your drafted players to the roster. But that usually is all, all you're adding at that point. But you're still putting that team together. You're figuring out flights, hotels, practice times, et cetera. Um, let me think what else. You're potentially organizing a mini mini camp of free agents. That happens a lot for teams. It's a good opportunity to bring some guys in. Guy seasons are over internationally or the G League. You can get another look at some guys. Uh, information collecting. This is critical. This is this is where uh, the really really uh, I'm not going to say good scouts, but the, the guys that GMs lean on the most are the ones that can get the most 
information, the most accurate information. What I mean by that is you got to figure out what other teams are doing if you can. Uh, and that it goes back to who do you have relationships with um, and where can you get this information from? And so I always felt the guys that had the most relationships in the league, whether it's with agents or other team execs that you can somehow figure out this puzzle, we get the, that information to our general manager. Our general manager now has a, an easier you know, path to get some work done. What I mean by that is he can now evaluate the up, move down, move out scenarios a little quicker because he knows where guys are going to land, who's, who could be following to, to us, you know, and, and that mathematical uh, puzzle. So, you know, I just I think I just rattled, rattled off seven or eight things. So it is a busy it's a busy time, believe it or not. Yeah, no, it's funny because, you know, from the outside looking in, it's like, OK, this is the, uh, the down period. And it's really <laughs> not that not the case at all. Um, and, and now we're at the point where workouts um, are a big deal. Uh, before the draft and from a media perspective, it's really the only thing for us to, to talk about because we're on the outside looking in. We don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. And sometimes that kind of forces us to naturally overstate the importance of a workout because again, we need something to discuss. Um, so I have sure. a couple questions about the actual workout process. First off, grouping workouts uh, and, and getting your groups together. Is it typically random just based on logistically who you can get in the gym on that particular day, or do you try and pair certain players up in the same workout? For example, if you have you know, an undersized guard who lacks athleticism, do you want to set them up um, to play against a longer, more explosive NBA defender who kind of simulates what he's going to see at the next level? Of course. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, this is this is the NBA. You know, you have a, a serious job to do. You're building your roster. You're making multi-million dollar decisions. You have to get the clearest picture possible prior to making that decision, whether that's intel or it's, you know, putting that player in whatever position you need to put him in in a workout in order to feel better about the decision you're going to make. Um, and, and, yeah, so, you know, I, I've i had it both ways where it's just really challenging to get a guy in because you may, you may not have a first-round pick. And my strategy was always, well, we're, we're talking with five teams to get a first-round pick, you know, one team in the top ten, one team in the mid-first, mid one team, whatever. And just to – and you know what? There's been a scenario where we actually moved into the draft and we weren't anticipating moving into the draft. So – there's a little cat and mouse there, uh, but, you know, you have to get players in. And, and agents also have to be very careful how they manage their player because if a team doesn't have a first-round pick, but but he let's say he's a, a player that everyone has consensus in the, in the starter bucket, well, that means you're going to have 20 teams that are going to want to – well, 30, maybe, four, you know, 30 teams that are going to want to see him. But how many can you realistically – send him to because he has to perform well and you want him to be fresh. He's got to interview well. And so, you know, last thing you want is for him to, you know, start in New York, fly to Detroit, then fly to Sacramento and then down to Dallas and back over to Miami. I mean, you just, you're just going to, you're really going to hurt, hurt the players, you know, chances of, of performing well. And so the agent has a job to do and he has to protect his client. And I can definitely respect that. But we're, we're doing whatever we can to get the player in. And, of course, like you said, put him in a spot where maybe he uh, – we need to see more of, you know, like that undersized guard against some length and athleticism and uh, like that like live-like, you know, situation that, that you'll see in the NBA. Absolutely. So for the, for the top prospects, um, they usually do these solo workouts, and I totally get it. Agents don't want them to be exposed or have a bad day against a tough defender – and uh, the whole, you know, there's more to lose than gain situation. But how much can you actually take away from a solo workout after having watched the kid play five on five for an entire season and, and even dating back to high school? Sure. Well, I, I actually love the interview process and I love the, the first time you're meeting a, a player, uh, even if it's a solo workout, because there are things that you – that you can learn um, how he responds to direction. Does he look you in the eye? How he interacts with people? How he carries himself? You know, putting him in situations that he may not be used to from that season of five and five. Um, 
we, we basically have control once he's in our building. It's de- and it's definitely an advantage to learn as much as possible during these visits. And it's just one of those uh, – because, you know, we're not allowed to speak to these players during the season until they declare for the draft. And once they do, you set up your your interviews. If it's a one-on-zero, it's a one-on-zero. You know, you, you don't want that. That's not the perfect situation. But you can still do – you can have a coach on the floor. You can do some things, some closeout stuff. You can put them in some pick-and-roll situations or – uh, there's some things you can get creative with uh, uh, that that are within the rules. And, and of course, the the interaction is is huge because right now it's it's so, so important to have good character uh, and, and a healthy culture, you know, uh, with, with, with your team. You're paying these guys so much money and and and, you know, it's proven, you know, like like. We, we've said in the past that the healthier culture usually usually wins out. And so I think teams are really starting to focus on that. So there's always these workout videos that surface. And just as a natural human being, sometimes you watch, you know, this always sticks out to me, Willie Cauley-Stein, who was a seven-footer who never took a jump shot in three years at Kentucky, does his workout and all of a sudden he's banging threes left and right. And he looks, you know, look, he's showing something he's never been able to show in college. Um, and sometimes – you get the perception that maybe his stock is rising or that maybe people are seeing things that they never got to see. And then we find out later in the NBA, you know what? He actually can't shoot. It's just a workout. These guys are so good. They can all make jumpers. How many times can you remember a player coming in for a workout uh, or particularly an individual workout and completely changing your opinion or uh, completely just a striking performance where you say, wow, that was not what I expected. <laughs> a few times um uh, josh howard comes to mind uh when we, i was in dallas if you remember him from wake forest um and it wasn't the shooting it was nobody could get a shot off um josh howard was freakishly long and moved really really easy and unfortunately you know he got a, an injury i want to say midway through his career he was having a heck of a career he was he was like a fringe all-star at one one year i believe but he was a really good starter um, but just a, a lockdown guy and, uh, you can put him in multiple positions and in, in our workout, I just remember we had, we had some pretty good players in the workout and guys that could score it and they couldn't even get a look. And, uh, we were really lacking, um, you know, wing defenders and, and you, you don't draft on that, but it's, it, it's, it's really nice when you, you've, you've drafted the highest talent you have on your board. Uh, and he also fits some type of desperate need that you have. Um, you know, we drafted him 29th. You know, our, our target was Boris Diaw, to be honest with you. And uh, Boris went earlier to the Hawks, and the next guy on our board was Josh Howard, and he kept falling. And we had some con- contingency plans because we didn't really like the next group of guys. We had another group in a different tier that were more like rotation slash fringe later in the second. But – Late in the first, he was the last guy we had that we felt was a starter, and he was falling to us. And um, man, we had a we had a good party that night. I can tell you, we were happy. Uh, so, and then here's another story, Jonathan. Uh, you know, Kevin Love, and we drafted Kevin Love in, in Minnesota. Um, I remember watching him at practice, and um, he hit a. It was a ball reversal. He caught it at the. He was like above the free throw line a couple feet. He was in between that and the college three point line, and he and he stepped into a shot really, really easy. And I was like, man, that was. I hadn't seen him shoot yet at all. I mean, he was he wasn't shooting jumpers in college. And so after practice, I asked one of the coaches if he if he would mind just putting him through a little shooting thing one on zero. And step back. I want to see if he can how, how awkward it was for him or uncomfortable from the NBA three point line. Now I can't go on the floor; it's against rules. But you know the coach can do it. So the coach went out there and he did it. Put him through the thing. I think Kevin went like eighteen for twenty or something <laughs> like it was something ridiculous. And I looked at the coach and said, "What are you doing? Why aren't you having this guy in some of these pick and pop situations or trail him or do some stuff, get him some shots?" You that's just not our it's not our thing right now. You know, it's like we, we have them where we have them. And I called Kevin McHale. I'm like, Mac, you got to get out here. This guy, I think we found our stretch four. You know, at that time, the stretch four was sexy, right? right. Now it's right. playmaking four that can shoot it, handle it, pass it, do everything. But, uh, you know, and then we have Kevin and the rest is history. He had a heck of a heck of a run with us in Minnesota. And he's had a really, really nice career, even with USA basketball. But, um, 
yeah, so that's that, those are kind of my two stories just off the off my head. Yeah, that's why yeah. we brought you on, Pete, for stories like that. <laughs> um, all right, so so you kind of touched on interviews before, and it's kind of a, a same situation type of question. But how much can a player really move the needle for himself during an interview? I mean, when you're in there asking questions, are you really just trying to f- make sure that there aren't any alarming character traits? Is there a time where you've been in an interview room and a guy has completely blew you away to the point where you actually moved him ahead of other guys based on his performance behind the table? Well, listen, like anything, like like when we watch a game or we watch a golf tournament and like Rory McIlroy just won this weekend. Rory was getting killed by everybody the last, you know, two months. Why uh, Rory missed a cut or he he didn't. We get so emotional. You know, and it's really important. Uh, Kevin Kevin Pritchard does this amazingly well. Don't get too high and don't get too low. Don't let something move you away from that 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 steady middle line. Don't get you know more than ten percent high or ten percent low. And you got to remember that. I'm, I'll tell you a guy who blew me away. Uh, we didn't move him uh, necessarily up, but we had a conversation like. Oh man, is this guy? Uh, and I said, hold on now, guys. We have him at a talent area where he is for talent. Okay, he's an unbelievable guy. Nolan Smith. Mm-hmm. Nolan Smith left our interview, and I said, this guy could be the president of the United States one day. <laughs> I mean, this guy was so buttoned up. I, I, I'm like, I was so impressed, and we all were. He left the room, and every one of us looked around, like, holy cow, this guy's this guy's got it together, you know. And so. You know, it's impressive, but you, you, you just have to be very, very careful because you, you cannot do that. You just can't move them up or down off, off now. You can, you can, I'd say, move them down a little bit if, if, if there's some drastic red flags in, 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 in the interview because that then it goes – it builds into your character and your background intel uh, binder or portfolio that you have on a player, and that will affect – because, you know, if, if, if a guy just doesn't check out the right way, then it's going to affect. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll give an example, like uh, not of a player, but um, if, if, uh, if, he, if he lies to you and you know he's lying to your face, you know, what happens is we ask strategic questions, right? We are, a lot of the times we already know the answer because we've done so much background on you and uh, we ask that question, and if you just lie straight to our face, that that's a that's a big issue. Um, and then if we say to you, "Well, we already know. Well, why did you just lie?" Well, I'm not lying. This is, and so you go back and forth. And you're like, "Do you want to put that player in your locker room? Mm-hmm. Do you want to put that player around your coaching staff?" And so, you know, trust, man. It's like family, right? It's like your wife, your girlfriend, your brother, your sister. You know, you you. you Trust is, is huge in relationships, and I, I'm a big believer in that. And so, uh, so yeah, you just, just got to be, be careful. Yeah. No, so yeah. Even for me, when I get to interview some of these guys, and sometimes um, they're just uh, – some of them are really friendly and articulate. And naturally, just as human beings, you want to say, I love this guy. But you can't mm-hmm. get too carried away, uh, you know, just based on uh, one-on-one interaction and, and his personality. But now the, the other – really important aspect um, of this pre-draft process is these medical reports. And it's a word we throw around so loosely as if it's, you know, a few pieces of paper in a manila folder that say healthy or back problem or knee problem. You know, what exactly is in a medical report? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> stuff, stuff that you're just like, what, what is this? Why is it in there? And like, can someone explain this to me? But the, the answer is everything from heart, you know, your organs, knees, back, ankles, feet, shoulders, hips, ligaments, tendons. Uh, it's just got everything. And then what happens is, um, obviously, we're not doctors. Like I mentioned earlier, you, you, you have your, your team doctor and the professionals take a look at this and then give us their professional opinion and feedback. And that's what they're paid for. And then, and then we have to take that information and, and do something with it. You know, I always say this. All these teams, every team does background intel. Every team does medical reports. The teams that are smarter are the teams that actually do something with it. 
there are guys that will be drafted and, and, and we all know have a terrible background report and, and something that you, you, you're worried about putting in your locker room. And then a team disregards it and takes them anyway. And then, then they have the issues. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it, it depends what you do with the information. And so, um, you know, we, we've seen, we've seen, uh, we've seen players with, with, with poor medicals, but then there's, uh, you know, there's the, the, the red, yellow, green flag. Let's just for an example, red being you, you can't draft the player. Like he's, he's legally off your board. Your doctors say, do not touch him. And then the yellow as he's got some, he's got some, some health issues. They're not, you know, career threatening, but there's something just to be aware of. And you're going to have to monitor this. You have to keep your trainers with them at all times and boom, boom, boom. And then you make your decision on whether or not you want to go through that and the risk reward. And is it something that can affect him three years down the line or 10 years down the line? That's a big issue. You know, Nick, the next one, I don't know exactly, but from what I remember, he was, uh, uh, I don't know if he was bone on bone or something like that. He may not have been, so I don't want to, I don't want to misquote, but I, I think, I think teams passed on him because they, they were told he was going to be a three, four year guy. I and mean, the guy played forever in the league and was really, really good. Right. And so, so, and then you have the other, you have the Brandon Royce of the world that, you know, we all projected as an all-star, but you know, there was some uncertainty of how long he would last because of his, you know, his name. Right. So each each team decides whether or not a player is red flag. For example, last year, Michael Porter Jr. is projected top five pick. He only played three games, had these back issues. And the day of the draft, the report comes out that his back is red flag and he suddenly slipped to number 14. Now, all those Mm -hmm. teams that passed, did they all individually red flag him or was there kind of a universal red flag? From my experience, it would be individually red flagged. Okay. Okay, that's it. A team will make their own decision on him, just like Denver did. Denver made the decision to take him. And, and you know, if they can figure out his health, then they're going to have a heck of a player. That's probably how they look at it. You probably weighed what was left in the on the draft board and, and what talent was left versus the risk of, of getting this type of talent and getting him healthy. And, you know, I think Tim does a really, really good job. Tim Connolly in Denver. Uh, I've known Tim for a long, long time and he's a friend. Uh, I'm really happy to see see his success. Yeah, no, and I mean at that point, you have to say the potential board is worth the risk. I was just so curious that all, you know, 13 team doctors all see the same thing in those medical reports that said, uh, yep. not for me. And, yep. Okay, so let's move on to trades uh, and trade rumors and how teams approach trades before a draft, because there are always rumors about teams looking to move up, or move down. Here, for example. The Atlanta Hawks had the 8 and 10 pick. I could have told you the day of the lottery. I guarantee you a report was going to surface about Atlanta either interested in packaging them to move up or a team like the Knicks at number three interested in trading down. Doesn't every team try and come up with the different trade scenarios to explore just to see what's out there? Well, you're you're definitely um, awake and aware and and you're always thinking about, but you have to be very careful. Like this is a... Uh, this is a world of, of uh, information and, and can you use information to help your team? And so, of course, teams are uh, some teams are a little more aggressive than others. Some teams will not call. They want you to call. Hmm. And then a lot of times I'll give you an example of a, a, a trade call. Hey, Jonathan, Jonathan you're, the, you're the GM of the Knicks and I'm the GM of uh, Orlando. Hey, Jonathan, how you doing? Doing well. You like it? Good, good, good. Uh, you like anybody on our team? <laughs> it's really that simple. I mean, that's it. Do you, uh, do you like anybody on our team? Because then I want to get you talking first. Right. You know, uh, and then chances are, if I'm not that close friends with you, if you look really through the last 10 years of trades that have been made, I don't know the exact number, but I'm willing to bet a majority of the trades that have made, the ones that at least that were made quicker, are made between people that are have either worked together before, have a really good friendship, uh, or, or can get through the BS really quickly. Because that's what it boils down to. If I'm on the phone with a guy that I don't know very well, that's how the conversation is going to go. And then you're just trying to get a feel for what he thinks. And you don't want to give up too much either because you don't want him to shop that information. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I like X on your team that much. 
because it's just like a, a push and pull because you're not only doing business with one team. There's 28 other teams that, that are out there. And so, um, you know, that's a big part of it. But, um, you know, it really starts after the lottery, right? Once the lottery, once the lottery balls drop and uh, you know where teams are, are picking and, and are set, that's where the conversations start to pick up. And some, some guys will camp the entire league. And, and call every single guy and just say, okay, you're, you're picking, you know, eight, we're at 14. Does anything make sense for us? Are there, That's another one. Are there like, before these calls are made, are there like brainstorm meetings where guys get together and say, you know, come up with different proposals? Uh, typically not with the entire scouting staff, no. Uh, maybe with the director of scouting, the assistant GM, uh, cap guy, those conversations happen, happen pretty often. Yeah. And every once in a while, you know, you, you may ask your analytics guy to put something together that makes sense. Just, just, you know, see what he comes up with. Uh, but for the most part, um, you know, your roster, I mean, you think, think about it. If that's all you're doing for a living, that's the, that's another misconception. If all you're doing every single day and it's your job, you know, your roster cold, you know, the, your, your, the characteristics of every one of your players, good, bad, and different. You know their their upside, their downside. So you know what your roster is pretty much moving forward. Now you have to figure out how to improve it. And it, it, sometimes it may be like, you know what? Let's give this, this group another year. I want to see where they're at, see how they develop together because we're really young. And you give it another year. Um, but you always listen. I mean, it's not like – Guy calls, you say, I'm not interested in doing any business. We, we're standing pat. We like what we have. I mean, we'll, we'll, you always listen. Um, it's it's the teams that have multiple picks in the first round are usually the ones that can can get creative. You just you have more room to get creative and, and flexible with doing different things. And so th- those guys are usually either getting calls or or making you know a little bit more of an attempt. But the other thing is the team that has young talented players you know the team I remember when I was uh you know my last year in Minnesota when we kind of revamped the entire roster all of a sudden the phone started to ring all the time because we had young talent but three years prior to that when we had you know a bunch of guys that were on bad contracts and long-term deals and they were a little bit older and we weren't winning nobody would call us and then when I got to Indiana our phone rang all the time because we had a bunch of good young talent so that's just how it works all right, guys, this is actually a good time to just make a quick announcement. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just 3 bucks shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who've tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use our promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers who ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter the promo code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happy. 
Okay, so now it's it's draft night. Um, where you're in your your war rooms. Uh, the big question is, what is the front? What is everybody doing in there? Uh, you know, you occasionally get a, a camera feed um, that shows you know a bunch of guys behind laptops. Um, <laughs> what is what is everybody's role? You know, by that time, what is the scout's job? Is his job done at that point, and it's just up to the decision makers? Who's making calls? What's everybody doing in that room? Eating food, <laughs> a lot of it. There's usually a really, really kick-ass uh, buffet next door, or or right in your room. Uh, it, it, honestly, it's, it's a lot of. There's a lot of downtime. By then, you are you you already you already uh, have everything ranked. Uh, you're you're pretty much prepared. You know the scenarios that that you may you know be looking at have already been discussed. You'll have an occasional wild card phone call from out of the blue that a team may want to do something, but it's usually not a bigger deal. The bigger deals are already on the board. I'll give you an example, like probably a day before the draft or two days before the draft, you have between three and 10 scenarios that you could actually entertain or move the needle forward a little bit on. That doesn't mean a deal gets done, but you've already had the conversations with the other general manager and, and there are some options. Um, of course you, you wonder, everyone asks, why does it take so long? Why are deals get done at the last second? Because either teams are shopping them or they're waiting for something better. Uh, and so, or they're, yeah, they're shopping them to, to, to improve the deal. And so, uh, scouts, every, every, every war room's a little bit different. Jonathan, sometimes scouts are just, uh, in a different part of the room sitting together or not even in the room. Sometimes a lot of them are at the table. Uh, typically it's usually the, you know, your, your president, your GM, assistant GM, director of scouting, your cap guy, your owner. Uh, and then you like an administrative assistant, uh, to make the call into the league. And then maybe your head coach, sometimes your head coach isn't even at the table. Sometimes he is, and he's just there to take it in and listen and see who the new player is, but they usually don't have input. Uh, and then there's anywhere from three to five telephones at that table. And for me, for example, I'm a, I was always a director. I was either one of the guys on the phone or assistant GM. Uh, every once in a while, a cap guy, but it's usually assistant GM, a director, uh, you know, on the phones, facilitating some stuff, taking the calls, and then you know, giving the general manager the information. And if he wants to move forward with it, he'll he'll get on that final call and call the guy back. So, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we'll do. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how, how it you know, goes through. Now, you'll see the laptops. Yeah, guys, you have to be prepared for the unexpected sometimes. Now, it very rarely happens, but the smaller deals, believe it or not, are even, even where you have to dig in. And what I mean by that is a lot of – a lot of calls happen in the second round, believe it or not, because teams are trying to move the pick. Mm-hmm. Players aren't dropping where they thought. Um, uh, okay, let's move the pick. Let's move it for a future second that's high, going to be higher. So that's the goal. If you're picking, if you have the 50th pick and you have teams interested, you have three teams offered a million for the pick or 1.5 for the pick. Well, you know, you want you want a future. You're probably going to take the team that has a future pick that's going to be higher in the 30s. And that's what you're going to do business with. And it's just you've just improved your chances of landing a rotation player better than taking a team that's going to be picking the 50s and the 60s. Right. And right. so the other thing that happens is if, if there's a, a little bit of a wild card uh, trade or you, you're, you're going to get a pick uh, because a guy starts to drop that you didn't think was dropping. And that happens every once in a while. And then – you know, maybe your owner wasn't educated on that because all you focused on the owner is telling him all of the moving parts of the first round. And you may say, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's, this guy's falling. And then your owner may say, well, who is he and what's he about? Well, throw some clips on real quick, show him. And you show your owner just so he can eyeball and feel comfortable. And then you may say, and here's his background and here's, here's our notes from our scouts. Here's where we had him ranked you know, cumulatively and, and here are all the, uh, you know, different scenarios that we think see of this player. And so you educate the room really quickly in a short period of time, even though all your work has been done on the player, you may just want to educate your own. Real quick. Yeah. No, that's a really good uh, peek behind the curtain there because 
for, for media, for fans, nobody gets to really see what's going on in there. So that was uh, really informative. I want to move on really quickly to, to strategy and something I think is people have a hard time grasping the idea of best player available first filling a need. And so last year, the Orlando Magic, they picked number six overall. They had previously taken Aaron Gordon, power forward, Jonathan Isaac, power forward. They already had Nikola Vucevic, center. And they had this major need for ball handlers. But instead, they take Mohamed Bamba, who is a center, who can't play any other position. And on one hand, it, you know, Orlando takes the best play. Clearly, I, I guess the philosophy is take the best player on my board and ignore everything else. And on the other hand, Bamba played very little last year, wound up getting hurt. But if Vucevic resigns, Orlando pretty much used the number six pick on the backup center. Can you explain the thought process for how teams think when it comes to fit versus need and when to use need in terms of tiebreakers? Yeah, it, it, this is this is always a uh, really interesting discussion, Jonathan. But the truth is you have to take um, – the best player, the most talented player available, because that player has not only the chance to be better and more productive for your team, but he also has a, a greater chance to be, let's say he's a better asset because chances are everyone's put him in the same area you have in terms of talent. So you could move him probably a little bit easier if you needed to. So he's a greater asset for you. Uh, for your, you know, because you only have X amount of players on your team. You have to get talent. Now, I mean, what what happens if, you know, Bamba had a great year and all of a sudden he was, yeah, it so happened that he didn't and he was hurt. But what happens if he had a great year? Would we still be having this discussion, right? Um, uh, need, to me, need is always addressed in free agency. Um, if you can, if you can address both in the draft and then, then, Wow, you've done a great job. It's really a little bit lucky, but you got to be very careful drafting for for need um, because you can put yourself in a in a tough spot. Um, you know, we did it one year, and and uh, I wish we didn't. You know, um, but uh, and and it was a valuable learning lesson for for our staff. Uh, but you know, we got bit bit on that. So yeah, just just listening to. Um you know, people on Twitter and fans, they're always like, well, we need a power forward. Why, you know, why don't we take <laughs> player X? Cause he plays that position. And it's just, it's just not how it works. You have to take the best player available. Even if, yes, like you said, you have to think of it as taking the most valuable asset. long term. Yeah. Because look at, look at it like this, Jonathan, too. You, we're watching the finals. Look at the talent that is on that floor. If you ever want to get to the finals, you have to have the best talent in the league. I mean, that, that, that game last night, I mean, the players in that game, even the last four teams, my goodness, there's all-stars everywhere. And, and even the guys that aren't all-stars, that are fringe all-stars, are so talented. And so you have to, you have to draft talent because why? It's the hardest thing to get. It really is. Well, also on the floor um, in these finals games are a ton of guys who are second round and undrafted guys um, from Norman Powell. Yes. Lee. So the draft ends, but there are still all these undrafted prospects who are, you know, the difference between a guy who's probably ranked number 75 on your board versus the guy who's number 55, there can't be a huge difference. So there's still guys out there that you're going to want to bring in. Is it, is it like a race to call their agents to get these undrafted guys to come in? I mean, when did these conversations take place to bring in these, these undrafted players? Absolutely. And so that's a, a great topic to talk about. I'm glad you asked. So at the end of the draft, uh, you know, it, it works a couple different ways. So if, if you try to talk to the agent prior to the draft being over, the agent's going to get mad at you, and that's happened before. <laughs> the agent's say, hold on a second. There's five more picks. <laughs> Call me when it's over. He may get picked. You're like, he's not getting – you may know. Like, those picks have already been sold, you know, three or four times over. You know, and, and you know, you don't think he's going to get picked. But, um, okay, so typically, um, mathematically, uh, if we have our eye on three guys, let's say, towards the end of the draft, we don't have a pick, we, we, we like them for summer league – um, and, and we have a really good feeling just from doing the math, 
we usually start these discussions at about pick 50, 52 maybe. And then I'll turn to, you know, I'll say, okay, who's the agent for X? Player one, player two, player three. Give me the agent's names. Boom. Got the agent name. Who knows the agent the best? I may know one of them the best. And I'll say, you know what? I'm taking Peyton Siva. I'm taking his agent. He's not, he's not getting drafted. I'm taking his agent. Uh, uh, Ryan, why don't you take such and such because you're friends with his agent. And then just, just because it's a, you can get through things a little bit more when that healthy relationship's in place, right? And so um, that's literally the second the draft is over. The, the second the, the you know assistant commissioner's on the, on the microphone saying the name, the, I'm dialing the number. I'm pressing send. And I'm asking, hey, the first thing I'm saying is, hey, sorry about, you know, such and such. Uh, but listen, he should easily should have been drafted. It's better that he didn't. He's got all 30 teams. Now, you want to paint the picture of real positivity, you know, and lift them up. Because don't forget, this is life or death for some of these guys, man. And these agents also, they have a job to do. And some of these agents get fired. They'll get fired if the player doesn't get drafted because they've told them the whole time they're getting drafted. So I say, hey, listen, we want to give him a summer league spot. He'll get minutes with us. We really, really like him. He had a great workout with us. We couldn't, we couldn't get him late in a second for whatever reason, but we want to take a, a longer look. Please give us the opportunity. And, you know, nine times out of ten, if you're the first call, I've had a scenario where I literally pressed send, and the agent said, man, just missed. I said, just missed. The commissioner was just on the thing. How did I miss? He's like, Pete, I literally just got off the phone. I'm like, all right. And then I've had scenarios where I was first. I'm like, all right, you first. You got him. Let's go. And so, um, and that's how you do it. What about some of these second ground guys? Like you mentioned the guy, you know, well, there's five picks left. I still might get taken. Isn't it beneficial for some of these guys to maybe go undrafted and have a little bit more control of, of where they can go to training camp? It absolutely is. But, but can you imagine the family, the agent, the player, it's draft night. It's only once in their life. They want to be drafted. If you sit there and tell the player and the family, it's better that you don't. Now, it, you're probably giving them the right information, but it's their night. And so from one side, I can see it. They're just, but it's not great for their career, you know, and sometimes it is, but believe it or not, every once in a while, not every once in a while, uh, some of the time it's, it's, it is good because if you get with the right team that has the plan for you and wants to execute that plan perfectly in terms of a development plan, in terms of uh, whatever the case may be, you at least have one team really, really working with you and caring about you. Um, you know, the, the other philosophy is you have all 30 as an option. And so, you know, there's two different ways to look at it. I, I think, you know, that, that late in the draft, you're talking about probably a fringe guy anyway. And the chances that that player ever makes a, a rotation is, is, is slim. There's a chance. There's some guys, you know, the plant man bleeds the world, but there's just not a lot. Um, by the way, Masai is doing a heck of a job up in Toronto. Man, oh, man. Uh, and I also do want to make another comment about uh, last night, if, if you don't mind, Jonathan, about uh, the Durant situation. Um, I, I, was, I was heartbroken. Um, um, Meant for many reasons. Um, the guy is, 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 is a Mount Rushmore player. Um, I, I think one of the greatest players, if not the greatest scorer uh, we've ever seen. Um, but when, when um, Bob Myers at, at the podium last night in his press conference, you know, he handled it beautifully. I, 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 I'm so tired of, of social media and what people say. And it's, you know, it's a good opportunity just to block people and, 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 uh, and you know, stop unfollow the unfollow button because people make fools of themselves. But I will say this, Bob put it on himself. He did that to protect his house. That shows you what kind of person he is. Bob Myers, a heck of a general manager. I mean, a heck of, he's a president now, I believe. He's a heck of a president. He's one of the best. And um, it is not his fault. He mentioned early in his press conference that it was a cumulative, cumulative, cumulative uh, effort, and and uh, they, they they made the decision together. But then he took took it. If you want to blame somebody, blame me. That shows you who he is as a person. Um, but knowing how it works, because I've been behind the scenes and I've worked for three different NBA teams, it, it is a combination of people, uh, of your doctors, your staff. 
the player you you're talking about uh, one of the greatest players in the world and and you can imagine the discussions they've had versus the risk and this what could happen you know versus where you currently are health wise and so it wasn't one person um so I, I just feel really really horrible because i love watching that guy play and and i have a lot of respect for him and, and bob and that entire organization, they do things the right way. And so, and then, you know, Kevin's future, I'm sure he's going to be, he's going to be just fine. Um, he's a worker, he cares and he'll do things the right way. Um, I just, I just feel for him and his family and, you know, agent and friends at this yeah, time. I chose not to say anything on social media last night because nothing you could really say uh, helps the situation. And like I agree. Said, Bob Myers, uh, first of all, it's so rare to even see a GM get up on the podium after a game like that. And for him to take accountability, right. Um, and show his passion and emotion. That was, uh, I'll remember that press conference uh, for a long time. And listen, before I let you go, I, I know you're, you're out of the scouting game, but I got to ask, I haven't talked to you about it. Give me a, give me a hot take on Zion Williamson. <laughs> a hot take? I mean, there's a million of them out there. He's an easy one. I mean, you know, like, oh, man, hot take. I mean, are you are, – are, what do you see? Do you see a future MVP? Do you see uh, just a perennial all-star? Is he a bit overrated? What's your general feeling on Zion? Well, I look at uh, – he's like a – he's like a big piece of putty. And you can mold him however you want if he's willing to put the time in. And from all – everything that we're hearing, he is, and he's a, and he's a junkie, and he loves it. So ultimately, if he keeps the noise out and he keeps a very close circle of people he trusts, he will be as good as he wants to be. How can you not with that makeup that he has of size, athleticism, speed, strength? He's got it. Now, he doesn't shoot the ball well. We know that. And it's a shooter's league. So numero uno, that is the thing. So he's got to – and listen, players in the league are smart. They are very smart. They are going to make him shoot the ball. If you're if you're going to get beat by him, they're going to make you shoot it, make him shoot it. So, uh, but he's a worker. So I I, I don't I you know always got to get us to where he's got to he can make shots with his feet set. He's not going to be able to turn in shots. He's not a natural. That's not going to be his deal. Uh, but if he can make shots with his feet set and be held a, accountable out there, man oh man, yeah, I feel sorry for the guys that are going to be. You know, he's going to be attacking their feet and getting in the lane. You know, giving him a little bit more space on the floor is dangerous because he doesn't need a lot of space for him to take off and get above the rim. And so um, I, I like watching him. Uh, I do. He's in, he's enjoyable because it, it, it's fun. Um, you know, I, I, I hope he, I hope he really hope he, he concentrates on, 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 on getting his shot consistent because if, if he does, it would be a hell of a fun career. So I, I'm not a big hot take guy, Jonathan. I'm pretty boring when it comes to that. I, I like to really dig deep into the skill sets and mental makeup and, and basketball IQ um, uh, feel. I just think it's got such a, a big deal to do in our NBA and how things translate. But I think, you know, he can be as good as he wants to be. That's, that's my hot take. Now I will say this. The hottest take, I, I went on Twitter a little bit about a week ago because I was, I was getting a little uh, fed up with all the draft chatter and like people only want to talk about picks one, two, three. If, if people want to really show themselves and, 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 and talk about the draft, the draft starts after the All-Stars are gone. That's when the draft really starts because those are easy. The draft starts when the – even sometimes when the starters are off the board. Tell me in pick 26 who's going to be a starter. Tell me in pick 37 who's going to be a starter. Tell me in pick 45 if anyone there is going to be a rotation player. Then I'll be impressed. Yeah, I mean, how much is uh, Toronto paying Pascal Siakam right now with that number 27 overall? Oh, my gosh. I know. And I love I love what Masai said. He was brilliant when he said that. And I've, I've known Masai. I've traveled with Masai all, all over the world, and, and I love him as a guy. I really do. Um, and Wayne Embry up there, who was, man, what a, what a classy man. And Curtis Crawford up there as their pro scout, who does a great job. They got a good staff. But Masai even said something like, hey, it was a revelation. We, we, didn't, we didn't know. We, we saw some talent, and, 
we hope that you know he could turn out to be a good player and, and they, they nailed it. He's doing a fantastic job. Up yep, there. really good stuff. Listen, Pete, this was uh, I'm, I'm smarter than it was an hour ago, so I'm I really I appreciate uh, you coming on. Uh, Pete Philo, president of TPG Sports Group, check out Pro Scout School, a must for anybody interested in, in getting involved in basketball operations. Follow him on Twitter at TPG Sports Group. Pete, thanks again, man. This is phenomenal. Well, Jonathan, I appreciate you having me. I really enjoyed it. I, I get my fix this way now that I'm out of the league. So anytime you want me on, I'd love to chop it up with you. All right, I'm going to have to hold you to that. All right, Pete Filo, everyone. Thanks a lot, Pete.